0: the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in. You guys can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Anchor.fm. If you're watching here on YouTube, please, I would encourage you to click that subscribe button down below. You see the big red YouTube subscribe there in the corner. Please follow that prompt to subscribe to the channel down below and click the bell for continued notifications. Guys, I want to talk about legalism, antinomianism, the virtues of participating in the games, even. I want to do so by looking at Christian liberty and the rest of the soul, how the soul can rest through what we would today call entertainment, but what the ancients might refer to as pleasantries, or things which the soul might take pleasure in for the soul's own sake. So we lack a serious amount of understanding when it comes to virtue ethics today. As a result, we tend not to know how to categorize things like entertainment. And so whenever it comes to fantasy novels or video games or movies, we could talk about you know, the morality of each movie or the morality of each book. And I don't necessarily want to get into those weeds because there are good movies and bad movies, good books, bad books, bad books, books that glorify sin that you probably would want to stay away from, books that don't glorify sin so much but include strong words describing sin to make the point and to elucidate the goodness uh, in the book. And so there are there are all those things that we could talk about, but really what I'm talking about here is more abstract than that. I'm talking more about the the goodness of the fictional tale itself. Like, is there any sort of uh, of redemptive good quality that would make the fictional tale desirable and morally desirable desirable by the Christian and if that's the case, I mean, that, that would obviously flow into other areas that, um, you know, would include video games and movies and things like that. So let's talk about legalism for a little bit before we get into that minutiae. Um, legalism does two things. The legalist has to take God down, bring down his holiness, and he has to exalt himself. Now, how does he? Why does he need to do that? Well, first, he needs to he needs to take God down and, and God's holiness down. He needs to bring it down in his own thinking. He needs to bring it down so that it will be more palatable to him and more accessible to him, right? So that he will find himself more uh, willing and able to accomplish what he perceives to be the law of God, right? And that's taking God down. That's 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 bringing God's law and the holiness thereof down to a level that is palatable and accessible to us. So the legalist has to bring God down. At the same time, his he, he has a lofty opinion of himself, right? He he is someone who is able to keep the law of God to the extent God requires. And so he has to he has to exalt himself as well. Those are those are two things that the legalist has to do. And I, I would add that the antinomian has to do the very same thing. So legalists and antinomians share principles, two fundamental principles, and that is they both have to bring God down and they both have to exalt themselves. We know how the legalist does it. The antinomian does it uh, more along the lines of bringing God's law down altogether such that it no longer applies and also exalting himself to be the one who gets to judge that it no longer applies to him or something like that, right? So so principally, the legalist and the antinomian have to do the same thing. Um, so when we're talking about um, different things that we could possibly participate in or partake of, uh, we have to understand that the question is not uh, it's not always as easy as saying, "Is that thing wrong?" or is this thing wrong?" Um, because it's very possible, and in fact likely, that the thing itself, that you are pursuing or desiring is not wrong, but that your habit behind pursuing that particular thing is what's wrong or what's right, for that matter. Uh, and, and so what we have to do is we actually have to, we have to ask the question of the heart. And so it makes it very difficult, actually, to, to forbid things, things that are not forbidden by God's law, because if they're not forbidden by God's law then you actually have to penetrate the recesses of man's heart to see if he's approaching those lawful things in a right way. And a lot of times this happens with uh, alcohol. Alcohol tends to be the low-hanging fruit, so I'll use it to illustrate the point. Um, partaking of alcohol is not itself. is not it's, it's a thing not forbidden by the Word of God. There are those who would say, Yeah, but given our sin nature and given the general tendency of men, it's not right to partake of alcohol because of the general tendency of men. See, that is a a claim and an approach that has to make an assumption about someone else's heart and about the habits within someone else's soul that direct one to take or partake Of alcohol, so it gets to motivations. It gets to it gets to uh, intentions uh, that are usually not perceivable by someone who is looking from the outside in. Uh, Okay, so it's it's a very slippery thing, very slippery thing. Some might say, well, uh, you know, it's very unwise to uh, to use guns uh, because, after all, people get hurt by guns. Uh, or the misuse of guns, and, and people often misuse guns, so therefore let's, you know, let's, let's say that it's, it's wrong for the Christian to own and operate a firearm. Uh, well, that just simply doesn't follow. Why doesn't it follow? Because you have to make an assumption about each and everyone, every Christian's state of mind and state of heart in order to be able to say that. And it's just knowledge that is inaccessible to you. Um, so I, I would start with that qualification. Getting more to uh, the point, when it comes to legalism, legalism divides into two uh, categories. There are two basic categories of legalism. There's number one, soteriological legalism. Uh, Soteriology is uh, the doctrine of salvation, so soteriological legalism would say you have to obey this or that in order to be saved. Right, that would be soteriological legalism, and it could either be God's law or made-up laws, right? So it could it could be to say, well, you need to obey God's law perfectly in order for you to be saved. We know that's not the case because of Ephesians two eight and nine and several other texts in Holy Scripture that says that we're saved by grace through faith alone, all right? Uh, that tell us that we're saved by grace through faith, um, over and over and over. That 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 drama's beat throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament as well, a fair bit of times. Um, so that would be an example of soteriological legalism. You have to do this in order to be saved. S- but the second category of legalism is, is practical legalism. And practical legalism is just a simple binding of the conscience. It would be, to take the a- alcohol example again, to take the alcohol example, it would be to say, well, you can't drink alcohol, that's a sin. Right. Even though God's word hasn't forbidden the participation or partaking of alcohol, uh, the, the, the practical legalist will, will forbid it as a sin for a number of reasons. Oh, it's generally unwise. Oh, man is not mature enough in his spiritual estate and his fallen spiritual estate to, to partake of that. Um, and, and there's all sorts of justifications for why people uh, say that it's not lawful to partake of alcohol. You know, you, you, you can't partake of alcohol uh, that's a sin. That's an example of practical legalism. It is forbidding that concerning which the law of God has left the conscience free. All right. So where let no man bind the conscience where God's law has left it free. That is a key rule. Uh, I'll just um, to kind of bolster that point there. I would turn to the chapter 21 of the Second London Confession of Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience. Paragraph two of that chapter says, God alone is Lord of the conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word or not contained in it. All right. Now, this happens a lot in social media where you get on social media and you are seeing all sorts of kind of these guru tips and tricks and instructions that tend to bind the conscience. And if you're not careful and if you're not discerning, you'll get on there and you'll 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 make yourself a slave to those kinds of things. And you'll be trying to do what this guy says, and you'll try to be doing do do you'll try to do what this what this other guy says on Facebook and, and you'll try to fulfill what that other guy said on Twitter and so on, if you're not careful. And that's just not where it's at. <laughs> it's a very dangerous position to be in, a very unhealthy place to be in. Um so as we think about legalism, now that we've kind of established what legalism is, now let's let's talk about some specifics. Because we don't have a grasp on virtues, virtue ethics, the reality of particular reasons or intentions according to which we approach something like what the ancients would call the games. We tend to take things generally and outlaw them. So we see sports, for example, and we see, you know, idolatry of sports in our culture. And we we see all the misuses of sports culture in our culture. And and we see how a lot of sports are are played on the Lord's Day and how... uh, You know discouraging and and sinful that is to detract from the day the Lord has ordained for his people to gather and worship him and so as a result we our temptation is to take sports as a as a general item and say well Christians have no business really participating in that at all Uh, that would be the temptation would that be the right strategy no it wouldn't be the right strategy why because the thing is not the problem, right? Sports is not the problem. Um, the manner in which man approaches the sports is the problem. Uh, the same is true when it comes to the games. Uh, the ancients would call it the games. And, of course, by that, they would usually mean the Olympic games or, or perhaps some recreational games that uh, friends could play with one another uh, within their own locale, Um But they would say that there is there you know older Christians would say that there's a virtuous way to approach the games, and it's 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 the virtue of um, pleasantness. Uh, Thomas Aquinas calls it eutrapelia, or eutrapelia pleasantness, Um, and that is the right disposition according to which we can approach the games. So let's bring that into the modern context where you don't just have like the Olympic games and and maybe some games that you play outside on the street. But you have fantasy novels, you have uh, movies and TV shows, and you have video games. And uh, online lately, it's been very popular. It's in vogue again. You know, the online, the Twitter gurus come out and they say, well, uh, and it's something every week, right? Um, uh, They say, well, you know, video games are, you know, are, you know, immature and sinful, and, and you should stay away from, from them. Or, or they put it more softly, you know, playing video games leads to this and that. Therefore, stay away from video games altogether. And in that case, video games, as a thing, the thing becomes the problem. And, and we're unable, because we, we, we're lacking in virtue ethics, we're unable to actually analyze the disposition by which man plays a video game uh, and on that basis, we're, we're unable to actually locate um, godly pleasure or uh, sinfulness, for that matter, uh, when it comes to playing video games. In other words, what I'm trying to say is playing video games like is not against the law of God. So it's not, it's not sinful in and of itself. What would be sinful is uh, an immodesty. Concerning the pleasure we take in video games, um, and, and perhaps a uh, a kind of a disproportion in terms of the priorities we assign to something like a recreation like video games, um, but none of that would none of that actually has implications for the thing itself, games. It has implications for the way in which man approaches them the way in which man plays them. And so uh, we have to be incredibly careful not to just start outlawing the things that we ourselves find dangerous because perhaps we lack some self-control and we we need to just remove this or that from our lives altogether, whereas somebody else might have self-control or the measure of self-control to be able to enjoy those things in a godly way. What's First, First Corinthians ten verse thirty one say? And this is in the context of man's conscience and and so on. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? And so in, in this case, you know, we're talking about um, meats offered to uh, to idols, um, you know. The meat that's sold in the market, you know, verse twenty-five is the context here. And um, is meat the sin? <laughs> Nothing changes about the meat itself, just because it was dedicated or offered to an idol. The meat is still the meat, right? Uh, and so, if you if you ate the meat as if it was dedicated to an idol, right, then that would violate or taint your conscience, and therefore you shouldn't eat it. But if you ate the meat as, you know, a component of God's good creation and, and you ate it to the glory of God, well, then you're free to eat it. Eat the meat. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And, and you know, Paul describes this theology of Christian liberty a little bit more in Romans 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith, verse 1, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So don't take the things um, and... And, and make them doubtful and, 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 and hurl them into a, a, a kind of escapade of controversy, that's not helpful for anyone. And, and that's what ends up happening when we start to say, well, is it, is it moral to, to play a video game? You know, is, it, is it moral to watch sports? Uh, in my mind, those shouldn't even be questions. If video games and sports aren't outlawed by God's word, if they're not outlawed by by God's law, then that's then those things that that's not even that shouldn't even come into the question. The question is, how do you approach recreation, and what is the virtue through which you approach the games? Is it is it is it vicious? Are you approaching the games with some kind of idolatrous habit uh, that is going to? Um, not only cause you to stumble, but others to stumble as well. Or are you approaching the games with uh, eutrapelia, pleasantness, a pleasantness that perhaps represents a uh, a time of rest for the soul, kind of a breaking up of the monotony of the week, so that you can uh, enjoy some time off, some uh, a break up of the norm, so to speak. I'll just read some some words from uh, Thomas Summa. And this is in uh, Secunda Secundae, question 168. This is article two, whether there can be a virtue about the games. And of course, there's three objections. It says there can't be any virtue about the games. And I'm not going to read all the objections, but Thomas answers the objections. He says, on the contrary, Augustine says, I pray thee, spare thyself at times for it becomes a wise man sometimes to relax the high pressure of his attention to work. That's the end of Augustine's quote. And then Thomas goes on and says, Now this relaxation of the mind from work consists in playful words or deeds. Therefore, it becomes a wise and virtuous man to have recourse to such things at times. Moreover, the philosopher assigns to games the virtue of eutrapelia, which we may call pleasantness. And Isn't that wonderful? I mean, so, so think about this. Playful words or deeds... <laughs> You have to think that encompassed within playful words would be things like, you know, comedy or jokes. Uh, Of course, not jokes that, uh, you know... uh, not jokes that would, would would be classified as crude or, or, or coarse or anything like that, but, but jokes that result in laughter and enjoyment. Um, and then of course you have deeds. So these would be the games, like actually going and playing games or or participating in the games, watching the games. And the idea is that uh, you know you're able to take you're able to take uh, advantage of these things by way of, of a kind of soul rest. This is a a, a a short vacation for the soul, kind of breaking up the monotony of the week. Uh, a, a man who works needs recreation, needs leisure, needs pleasant, pleasantness, needs eutrap, Um And so uh, I would just say that when it comes to all of these doubtful things, which is what Paul would call them in Romans 14, not to really look for the thing itself. Uh, whether or not it's lawful, obviously there are things, things, actions that are condemned by God's word that we need to pay very careful attention to. Um, but in, in the case of like sports or playing games or playing video games or reading fantasy novels, you know, um, the idea here is, uh, you know, we engage in these things for our entertainment. The question is, are we engaging in them in an immodest way, a way that would kind of usurp and, and and, uh, and destroy a properly ordered life, a properly ordered list of priorities, or are we engaging in them by way of eutrophilia or pleasantness, a, a kind of desire to uh, to take soul pleasure in these various things for the sake of the soul, just just as a respite, right? A, a rest from, from everyday life. Anyway, hopefully that was helpful. Uh, keep the main things the main things. Don't get tied up in especially on social media. It's very easy to do. Do not get tied up in disputes over doubtful things. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day.